Being from the South, I know a thing or two about how bugs can ruin a great outdoor experience. It's crazy how something so small can affect some of the potentially greatest experiences of your life. And that's why today's show is brought to you in part by Sawyer. You might know them as the water filter company. I actually have a couple Sawyer filters, but they make a lot of other great products too, including their insect repellent. And uh, j just some points about what it is. It's great for the whole family. It's actually safe to use on infants and those who are pregnant because they don't use DEET, the active ingredient. They use something better called picaridin. It actually lasts longer. It lasts up to 12 hours. Pretty incredible. And it doesn't damage any of your gear. So it's insect repellent specifically made for families who are also outdoorsy because it won't ruin any of that high dollar gear that you've bought to be out there. And it does a fantastic job of protecting you and your family from those vector-borne illnesses that are carried by insects. I know for me, I'm always carrying some insect repellent because I've had mosquitoes specifically ruin some pretty incredible backpacking experiences. Don't let it happen to you. Use Sawyer's 20% Picaridin insect repellents. Find out more about that at sawyer.com. Play safe, travel safely, Sawyer. They keep you outdoors. What I what I think is not a completely uncommon thing happened last year, but I think it tends to still rattle everybody that hears about it, which is, you know, he had a, an encounter with an alligator, you know, just coming up and, and bumping his, his boat in the middle of the night. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we hear stories of adventure from every corner of the planet. We interview all sorts of folks who are using their sport to explore the world around them and give you the inspiration you need to get out there and have some fun. Hey folks, hope you had a good weekend. Uh, today we're talking to Greg Wingo about the Alabama, the great Alabama 650. It's a 650 mile annual kayak, canoe, whatever, paddle race, whatever you want to do uh, on the Alabama Scenic River Trail literally across the whole state all the way to the Gulf of Mexico and it is uh it is a crazy adventure it's happening right now there's actually a uh, a link in the show notes where you can follow the riders they're approaching the halfway point uh, they started i think on Saturday Friday or Saturday and they're already i mean they're crushing it and so uh last year's winner Bobby Johnson is trying to keep the title of of winner but either there are some folks that are uh, that are very close, and it's, it's it's pretty exciting, honestly. I would definitely recommend you checking it out. But today we're just talking to Greg about um, what it's like to put the race on, how he got into this, and uh, yeah, to hear about the literally the longest annual paddle race in the world, and it happens to be in Alabama of all places. Something else I wanted to mention is that uh, if you don't know, I work at Athletic Brewing Company. We make non-alcoholic craft beer, and we're going to be doing a sober October challenge to where uh, you don't drink for the month of October, uh, but you can have non-alcoholic beer like Athletic Brewing makes. And uh, we're going to be doing this challenge that you, you need to stay sober for the month, and if you don't, you got to pay. And so uh, the winners that make it all the way to the end get to split the money 
um, at the end, but you can try it out. It's on the SPAR app, S-P-A-R. You download that, join our challenge, and every day you need to check in with a video saying, you know, what you did that day instead of uh, drinking beer. If it's something you like to be a part of, something you like to make some money doing, check it out, all the links in the show notes, but I'm going to be doing that uh, with uh, with my job here at Athletics, so it's going to be fun. And I'd love to invite the Adventure Sports Podcast community as well, so check it out. Um, all the details are in the show notes, and yeah, hope you enjoy, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Talk soon. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today, we've got a re- really interesting idea, interesting concept for, for a, a show and for an adventure. And uh, yeah, the kind of the mad scientist behind it all is Greg Wingo. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so how's it going, man? How, wh- wh- where are you coming from today, by the way? So I'm down in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, things are good. You know, we're... Uh, we're having some pretty beautiful weather right now after coming out of uh, Hurricane Sally last week and possibly some more bad weather in the in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but right now it's sunny and a little bit cooler than it would normally be. So uh, it's, it's kind of nice to be here right now. Oh, man. Um, has... Has weather been an issue for what you've done? Just just out of curiosity, we were just talking about before I hit record. I know that's like the one thing out of your control, one of many things, but the biggest thing out of your control. Have you ever had to deal with that with some of your other races? You know, the funny thing is um, this is the weirdest weather situation that I've had to in- endure. Last year when we put on the race, we went 10 straight days without a drop of rain. It was absolutely perfect weather, a little hot, but other than that, it was, uh, perfect weather conditions, uh, which is nice because it puts you, uh, at ease knowing that that's something that you don't have to worry about. You know, every other, uh, factor in your control or out of your control, you're having to worry about, but taking weather out of it's a really nice thing. But this year, unfortunately, uh, weather has come into play and I, you know, it's just gotta be a 2020 thing where if something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And, uh, so dealing with the aftermath of hurricane Sally last week, uh, on the Gulf coast, which is where the race finishes, um, you know, we're having to monitor the situation down there. And then at the same time, monitor other systems that are potentially coming into the Gulf uh, and up into Alabama in the coming weeks and, and how that will have an impact on the race. Yeah, yeah, man, that's so stressful. Cause it's like, you don't want to break all these people's hearts that have been training or want to do this, who, you know, this might be the one thing this whole year they've been able to actually plan to do. And then for something, you know, totally really unforeseen, you know, you know, for, for this year, it's like, okay, you know, Surely it's not going to be the weather too on top of everything else that we got to keep track of. But sure enough, here it is. How, how do you deal with that as a race director? How do you process that? Is there anything specific you do? Does it just, is it just sleeplessness is how you deal with it or (laughs) anything that you, uh, I don't know, take inspiration from to, to, to keep the calm during those times? Well, I think what makes great Alabama 650, uh, unique to some extent is it is a 
very long race that we treat much more like an adventure race than we do a typical super hands-on paddle race. So as a result, all the racers know that weather is just another factor that's going against them to get from point A to point B uh, within the 10-day period. The As a result, if it's really bad rain or if it's thunderstorms, things like that, that's on the racers to uh, get off the river and find a safe space. But when weather becomes a real factor is when you're dealing with flooding. And uh, unfortunately, flooding is one of those things that just pops up uh, and you, you're not really prepared for it until it's right on top of you in a lot of instances. And so uh, as a race director, that's probably what I worry about more than anything. And I have to essentially have contingency plans in place whenever that happens. Uh, we were actually having an internal discussion um, earlier today with some of the staff about if you have a heads up on when flooding is going to occur versus flash flooding that you don't have a heads up, how do you deal with that in the race? And we have a protocol in place for either of them. Um, but from a racing standpoint, the last thing you want to do is have to pause the race or have to cancel the race. Because as you mentioned, they've been training all year, in some instances, more than a year uh, to take on this race. And for most of them, it's going to be the hardest thing that they ever take on. So you, you want the race to be super difficult, uh, but you don't really want to see weather have to be a factor in that because they have so much else going against them that uh, that's just kind of the one thing that you really don't want to have to be uh, coming into play. Mm. It's almost with an event like this, maybe you don't have to worry about weather so much because it's not like, you know, it's just part of what you need to expect to prepare for. So yes, in one hand, you know, in a hurricane is a little unique for sure. Um, but in, on one hand, it's like, Hey, y'all, 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 y'all know that anything coming your way, you need to be ready for, but, but being on water, it is a little bit more dangerous, but you know, I know we're talking about this right at the beginning, just cause it's right on your mind. The trip is coming up. The adventure is starting next week. But I would love to kind of draw it all the way back and hear some of, you know, how this thing got started, what your experience is as an adventurer. Um, and folks have heard a little bit about it, just the basics in the the uh, the intro that I record before releasing each episode. I'll just kind of explain what the Alabama 650 is and folks kind of have an idea there. But could you just just from your perspective, what is it and how did it get started as well as, you know, how did you get into this? So Great Alabama 650 is a 650-mile-long point-to-point ultra-paddle race. Uh, both nationally and internationally, there's not a large number of ultra-paddle races, which tend to be races of around 100 miles or longer. And unlike in you know the ultra-running world where you can pretty much run a 100-mile race somewhere every week now, since they're everywhere. Um, that just isn't something that's quite as uh, big an opportunity within the paddling world. And, and primarily it's because logistically it's difficult to create races uh, of any length like that. Um, Great Alabama 650 came about because 
we have a river trail in Alabama uh, called the Alabama Scenic River Trail. Um, and that's also the name of the group that promotes paddable waterway in the state of Alabama. Um, we have uh, thousands and thousands of miles of paddable waterway. In fact, we're the second most um, charted waterways uh, in the country statewide behind Alaska. So uh, we have, we're a very wet state, essentially, and we have lots of great places to be able to paddle. But the original river trail was the 650-mile-long trail that essentially goes from the top of the state all the way to the bottom at the Gulf of Mexico. And a couple of years ago, there was a discussion amongst the group uh, with the Alabama Scenic River Trail about creating a race, because primarily in the 12 or so years that the trail had been officially around, there had only been a small handful of people that had ever done the entire 650 miles. And the question came up, you know, what would be the fastest that anybody could do this? Um, and so a race was what was discussed and I was brought on board to essentially create and run the race as the race director. And my background is actually in ultra running, uh, and adventuring, uh, all around the world. And so, but I had had a little bit of race directing experience as well. And they figured, Hey, this guy knows endurance and, and ultra events and he knows some race directing. So let's, let's bring him on board. Uh, and it's, it's been a crazy experience because it really is an extremely unique, uh, and challenging event, both to take on as a racer and to put on as a race director. Um, so yeah, so the race comes up September 26th, it runs till October 6th. So racers have 10 days to get from Weiss Lake to Fort Morgan and, uh, one of the things that's really challenging about this race is, is unlike most other long distance paddle races where you either have uh, flow on the river uh, or you might be able to use a sail or something like that. This race is strictly uh, arm powered, so they can't have any other kind of assistance other than paddling with their arms. And I would say 90 percent of it is completely flat water even the rivers don't move so they're having to work the entire 650 miles and the 10 percent that isn't flat water is uh, bay water and tidal water that's throwing you everywhere but forward so it's truly an endurance event that is uh, a real challenge to these athletes that is unbelievable for, you know, I, I would not have thought that Alabama would have, would be home to such a huge water-based race, you know what I mean? And so, I mean, it, when you look at it on the map, it is, it is massive, man. So, so what, you know, what, what were your thoughts when they first said, you know, we're going to do a race that's, the, that's 650 miles, essentially across the whole state connecting these different rivers? What, what, were, what was your, you know, response to coming on board to something like that? Well, from an endurance athlete standpoint, it was pure excitement because uh, even though I was not an endurance paddler, uh, I was just a recreational paddler. But even though I wasn't uh, doing uh, endurance paddle races, I genuinely love to see endurance events pop out, you know, from wherever they come from. Um, and the more unique 
the opportunity uh, to uh, put on something that uh, you know can really stand out the better in my eyes in in all kinds of endurance events. So, for example, I you know I like to say, and I said this a lot before we did the first one last year. I like to say that this is the you know the Barkley marathons of paddling. You know, my goal in putting this on was to make it uh, something where it was kind of the be all end all of the racer who wanted something that was way different than any other endurance event they'd ever done. And, you know, so I, I, I take a lot of my race directing, um, knowledge and sort of my thinking from the way that Laz puts on, you know, Barkley, uh, up in Tennessee and uh, so when we tell the racers for this race uh, about it, I always say, look, forget all the other races you've ever done, all the ways that you've been pampered at an aid station, all the ways that, you know, you received all this, you know, this great swag and everything like that. The, the point of this race is to just completely destroy you to the point where you might not make it, but you still do. and. You know, that's what I wanted to put on an event that was bare bones and felt really isolating and extremely difficult. Uh, And that's what we've created with it. It is it is a very, very difficult kind of race. And I think the greatest part about it is, is the least uh, challenging portion of it in my eyes is the other racers. You know, racers in all kinds of sports are always looking at their competition. And really, the competition is not who you're up against in this. It's the river trail itself. It's everything that they have to endure on the water. Uh, and it's very rarely the other racers that are coming into play. That said, last year's competition between the top two boats was fierce. Uh, and it made for fantastic viewing throughout the race. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, what had the greatest potential to keep any boat from getting to the finish was was the actual river trail itself. Man, Craig, you you, you make me want to get out there, man. This sounds awesome. Do it. It Do sounds it. incredible. I, I'm going to be a little too late for this year. Um, it's in a week, so I don't mm-hmm. think I'm going to make it. But I, I, I'm blown away. Actually, it's this weekend, correct? Let's see. It is. Oh yeah. And gosh. all these, so these racers, they, you know, we have qualifying races in place where other endurance races around the world, uh, racers need to have finished one of them within the last five years or spent a good amount of time at our race, whether that's crewing for someone else or acting as a safety kayaker, some way so that they have good experience with our actual race and the, in the river trail itself. So everybody, all, all 16 boats that are in this year, everybody is is an accomplished paddler in their own right. Um, and that's for two reasons, really. One is um, I like to have a good idea of who it is that's that's coming to our, our event. We like to we like to promote our racers. But two, we need to know that whoever signs up for it, they can handle what's about to be thrown their way. Um, and when we did the race last year, we didn't have the qualifiers. And so we got a mixture of experienced athletes last year and some people who didn't have a lot of experience. And 
you want to make sure as a race director, you want to make sure a, that everybody is appropriately safe, uh, within the confines of the race that you're putting on. But also you want to make sure that everybody, uh, is able to keep the logistics of the race moving smoothly. So if you have individuals that are taking part that maybe can't paddle at, um, you know, at a fast enough rate, you start to get this big spread out between the pack and you have logistics getting stretched thin as well, because you have, you have race staff and volunteers that have to, uh, staff portages for the racers to go through. And if, if, you know, racers are back at the back, getting further and further behind, it stretches that time out. And when you're dealing with a 10 day race, um, you know, everybody is already super tired and stretched thin. And so you, you need to have, you need to have everybody ha- be at, at more of an elite level if possible so that the logistics move work smoothly as well. Cause there is some level of support. It's not, Hey, you're out there on your own for 650 miles. Correct. Okay. Wow, yeah. Each, man. each, each boat is required to have at least one crew person who follows them from beginning to end. and is able to some of the portages around some of our hydroelectric dams have, um, they're driving only portages. Uh, one is as long as 12 miles. So they'll take out at a spot and then they'll need to drive to the put in. Uh, and as a result, they have, that crew has to be the ones to assist them, uh, at those portages. So, um, so everybody's required to have that, but then also from a safety standpoint, you, you need to have somebody, that's just monitoring you uh, as you're going throughout it versus the the race staff that's having to monitor everybody. Um, this way, you've got somebody that's always you know keeping an eye on you and has your best interest at heart throughout the race. Uh, and I will say that in a race like this, it's honestly probably nearly as important to have great crew as it is the training for the race itself. Um, you can be in a, a stud athlete and if your crew isn't, uh, top notch, they can, they can make you lose the race or even have to drop out of the race, uh, just by making mistakes. So, um, so it's really important. And, and the, the, the boats that get to the finish are the ones that are, that are generally very well staffed with quality crew. I'm just wrapping my head around this. Now, now Alabama's just not known, you know, obviously there's yeah. things that go on, but it's not known for these adventures. So what is some of the feedback you've had from people coming in and doing this race? And also, where are people coming from mostly? Is there a trend or is it just kind of all over the place? Uh, this year's um, list of racers is from all over the country. We have, you know, we have a, a couple of racers that are from uh, the Gulf Coast. Um, we have some from Florida. We have some from Idaho and um, Minnesota and Virginia, Texas. Uh, then we have one racer that is coming from Hawaii. Um, unfortunately, this year, all of our international athletes had to defer to next year. Uh, yep. They were not able to come do the race. So we, you know, we're, we're a, a U.S. only race this year, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, 
and and they're all they run the gamut of you know um semi-pro paddlers to you know weekend warriors um but it yeah it's it's all over the country and you're right alabama is not known and that's you know that's part of it is is we want to show that we have you know this amazing uh geographical layout here with uh insane wildlife and uh, really challenging temperatures pretty much year round uh so you know it's uh we we do want to show that off but uh, there's just in, in the ultra paddling world, there's not that many out there anyway. And, and most of the big ones, the ones that people think about like, uh, Yukon river quest and, uh, MR three forty in Missouri and Texas water safari, they've been around for a long time. Uh, so people are not even really adding a lot of these super long distance races. Uh, so just by the simple fact of adding, our race to the list, you have this hungry group of endurance paddlers out there that just immediately want to go take it on because it's suddenly another option for them. Um, so that's so great because we're able to give something to them, you know, even if they've been doing the same races year after year after year, just adding that one additional long distance races is really exciting within this community. So what should folks participating expect? Because I'll be honest, I I saw the Alabama Scenic River Trail Instagram and I just started scrolling through pictures and I was thinking, and and I was thinking to myself as I was scrolling, that's in Alabama? Wait, that's in Alabama? Look at that waterfall (laughs) right there. What the heck? Like I grew up in Florida and, you know, just one state over and and it looked so different than, than I haven't explored a lot of the backcountry of Alabama. So what can people expect out there? Is it just incredibly remote? Like, like what, yeah. what is the setting a lot of the time? So the, I think that's one of the things that makes this race so uh, interesting is you start out uh, on a lake in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. So you're surrounded by, you know, what, what we in Alabama call mountains. Uh, and then you're, you're traversing primarily the first half of the race is down the Coosa river. Uh, and the Coosa has been, um, dammed in multiple spots to create, um, man-made lakes, uh, throughout. And so, um, so racers in the first half of the race are pretty much either on a very slow moving river or they're on a, um, they're on a big lake. Uh, so it's, it's pretty challenging. And that's that first half of the race is more populated. You're passing by, uh, some of the bigger, uh, cities, not too far from Birmingham. You actually go through Montgomery, the capital. Um, you go through Gadsden, which is a small city. And so, um, so you see more, you see more, uh, population base in that first half. In the second half of the race, you move down into the Black Belt region and into the Delta itself, and it gets progressively more isolated uh, and more challenging as you go along. Uh, The challenges range from um, just the simple fact that it's really difficult to reach the river uh, down there, so crew has a, a more difficult time getting to the racers. Uh, there's, there's just less opportunity for places to stay and to get food, uh, cell service is terrible. And then on top of that, 
this is where you start to really see more of the wildlife. So you'll start to see uh, alligators. Uh, you're definitely going to encounter a good number of um, of snakes. Uh, it's it's just all throughout that that southern portion. Snakes are throughout everywhere, but they're they're. I think I feel like they're a little more noticeable in that delta region. Um, and then you hit Mobile Bay, and you're dealing with this. You know, you're essentially dealing with the the bay water and uh, making your way to the beach uh, at Fort at Fort Morgan. So, uh, so you get to really get a good glimpse of what the entire state looks like in all in the different geography throughout just being in the race. Uh, but it's it it really is fascinating because it really does change throughout. Uh, the terrain is is completely different at the finish than what it is at the beginning. Do you have any stories of any racers of like what they experienced? I know you can't yeah. be out there yourself for everyone's experience, but you know, you get to hear what these folks go through. What, what What's something you've shared that maybe was just totally unexpected or a true adventure? Cause I can only imagine being out there in the middle of Alabama. With so, folks see. Uh, our overall winner last year uh, is a gentleman named Bobby Johnson. He's from Florida and he's, he's quietly winning uh, all the ultra paddling events, um, really unassuming person who, uh, is just going out there and dominating within the, the solo paddling, um, area, particularly the, the Southeastern races. So Bobby, um, Bobby had a, uh, you know, what I, what I think is not a completely uncommon thing happened last year, but I think it tends to still rattle everybody that hears about it, which is, um, you know, he had a, an encounter with an alligator, uh, you know, just coming up oh, and, and bumping his, his boat in the middle of the night. Uh, and, you know, so that's, um, and that's, that happens. It's, it's very common to, uh, you know, to see those eyes in the water in the middle of the night and, and know that they're right there with you. Um, and so, yeah, so he had one that, that bumped him pretty good. Uh, while he was going down the river. Um, and that tends to, you know, I, I, I love to appropriately scare, <laughs> uh, racers, uh, about the, the, the things that they're going to encounter throughout the race. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is with the alligators, um, you know, they, they pretty much don't want to have anything to do with you. Uh, they're pretty skittish. I, I think the greater danger, uh, in a race like this is a water moccasin. Um, that's, that's something that's, that's more likely to jump on your vessel. Uh, it's more likely to be something you step on when you, when you're getting out of your boat, uh, maybe to do some camping on a, on a sandbar or something like that. That's, that's a, that's a greater concern in my eyes than, than a gator, but the gator is the sexy thing that gets everybody <laughs> kind of talking oh, yeah. a lot more. So it's like the uh, tiger, the lion, the, 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 you know, the, the grizzly bear. It's all that, yeah. that, you know, charismatic megafauna, as we call it, yeah. uh, of just that, that gets the stories, gets the news that right. didn't cover something like this, but that's but, crazy. But then it, but then it's the hippo that kills you. Exactly. You know, or, like... <laughs> or the cow, the cattle. Yeah, like you exactly. Said, you know, so it's <laughs> the cows just roaming out there, stepping on you or charging you. So, Totally get it. But, uh, you know, man, guys, so I did watch yeah. a little video about the race and saw where, where Bobby was saying about, uh, paddling through the middle of the night. So what, what is the, 
um, have you found to be the winner's kind of method of, of scheduling out how they pa- paddle? Like, what does it look like? Is it literally just paddle as much as you can every day and sleep as little as possible? Is there some sort of routine to it? What, what have you seen from the folks doing really well? So the thing, the thing that really I think works well is, uh, and I'll back up for a second, they, they are on the clock from the time the race starts uh, on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. until when the race finishes 10 days later. The only time that they're not on the clock is at the portages, we have a mandatory downtime of anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. And this is really just to, to basically, it's to make sure that they don't rush through the portage and get hurt. Um, and so we do that, and it gives us the ability to really kind of take that 30 to 45 minutes to assess how the racer's doing. I think the ones that do really well, uh, take advantage of that already mandatory downtime and try to find a way to get some sleep there as much as possible. That's still not enough for a 10 day race. Uh, so they have to really rely on planning with their crew prior to the race about spots where they're going to be able to meet up and do either a resupply or uh, have a campsite set up for them uh, so that they can take, you know, one, two, three hours of sleep here and there. Um, But the more that last year, I think the key really was paddlers that would spend the nighttime when it was cooler paddling uh, had, you know, a lot of great success. Um, So, you know, I think that's, I think that's really, really important is to, um, use those cooler hours and then try to get some sleep during the daytime when, uh, it's a little bit warmer, but forecast for this year that it's going to be a little cooler, uh, this year than last year. So they may have, uh, you know, a little bit more of a challenge being on the water later at night, especially if it dips down into the low fifties and high forties, which is, which is what it says it might do in some areas. Uh, that might not be all that enjoyable on the water. So, uh, but crew, like I said earlier, crew is everything. Crew needs to be there to help dictate when's the best time to, to take a break and sleep. How quickly are the winners doing this race? 650 miles on the water. Uh, Bobby finished it in just over seven days last year. Um, and then Sally O'Donnell, who took first female and was second overall was about, um, about seven hours behind him. So that was actually given the length of the race. Seven hours is not a ton. They battled it out for six of the seven days. Uh, and Sally led the race for the first six days. Um, Bobby caught her on the sixth day and, and then finished it, um, into the eighth day, seven days and, and a few hours. So, um, that's the fastest time ever on the, uh, river trail itself. Now I'll tell you this, I won't, I won't speculate too much who will win this year, but I will say, um, we have some pretty strong tandem teams this year. Um, and there's a great advantage when you're racing tandem in the fact that one of you can be sleeping while the other one is paddling. So, um, so in theory, a tandem boat, if all goes well, 
uh, all, you know, all other things aside, a tandem boat should be uh, able to be in the overall winner. But again, all the factors that come into play uh, don't make it a guarantee for anyone. <laughs> so, right. Absolutely. And so the, the three categories I see are male solo winner, female solo winner, and then team winner. And all those have a, uh, a cash prize. Is that, yes. was that a discussion early on? Like, are we going to do this for cash or not? Cause I see a lot of these races where they're, you know, it's, it's show up, you, you, there's, there's no rules, just get there. And, uh, you know, all you get is cloud or some bragging rights, but this is, yeah. you know, there's actually an incentive to potentially win some cash, but there's also an entry fee. What, what, what is, uh, what was the decision behind that? What was that like? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So last year we actually, we actually put up a really, a really big cash prize last year. We did, um, $7,500 per category. Um, Holy and cow. the re yeah. And the reason we did that was we, we wanted to make a splash ourselves, basically showing that this was legit, that this was, you know, this, even though it was a new race that we had, um, you know, we had some money behind it and we wanted to, you know, we wanted to make sure that people knew that we weren't just some sort of flash in the pan. What we found out, interestingly enough, from those that raced it and even those that, that you know, took on home the prize money last year was that the prize money was nowhere near a factor in their decision to do the race, the way the actual race and the challenge was, and that they would have mm -hmm. gladly done the race without there being um, the cash prize. And so we had always planned for year one to be the, the splashier year for, for money. Um, and so I decided this year that we would still have a, a good cash prize, which is $2,000 per category. But it was clear that you know people were going to come do this race because they wanted the the pride uh, and prestige that was was attached to actually finishing it, mm. uh, and cert and certainly to winning it uh, outright. And so, um, so yeah, so it, it's really interesting to to find out that really money was was really not a huge factor. That said. It is expensive to do races like this. Um, the entry fee is five hundred dollars a boat, um, and you know I know that the out-of-pocket costs for them to, uh, in many instances, to travel all the way to Alabama, and the cost to, uh, you know, to deal with gas and food for your crew and for yourself throughout the race is, is very expensive, and so I certainly wanted to have some some cash involved. Um, so that, you know, so that there was some incentive as well there to maybe make back some of your money that you were spending on the race. Um, that said, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's an expensive sport and, um, and it would be for any kind of endurance event that you did that was this long, uh, all the, all the stage races around the world for running, you know, um, from coastal challenge in, in Costa Rica to, uh, marathon in, uh, the Sahara desert, all the, all those different stage races, they cost a ton of money, uh, for individuals to do. And so, uh, so it's not unheard of, um, to, you know, to have to spend a lot of money to do a, a, a really long term event. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting reflection because when I, when I first saw it, 
I was thinking, oh man, I, I have to do this at some point. I would love to do this. And, and it took me a while to realize there was actually prize money. I thought, oh wow, that's uh, that w- that's not expected, but that's really cool that it's there. You know what I mean? And that you can, uh, you could potentially walk away with, with a decent, you know, if you, if you finished in a week, not bad for a week of work, you know, $2,000. Well, I'll, I'll say we are very fortunate. The Alabama Scenic River Trail is um, very well supported by the state of Alabama and by the tourism uh, board here. And they know the gym that we have with, uh, with our waterways and with this trail itself. And so they want to do whatever they can to make sure that we're able to properly get the word out uh, about this great place. And the beautiful thing about it is, is the trail is open 365 days a year. You can come and do all or part of it at any given time. You uh, only have 10 days out of the year that you could do the race, uh, but you could come the rest of the time and, and always take on any or all sections of it. Uh, and so that's kind of a cool sort of thing. It's, you know, you don't, it, it, the markings are the same following the trail as it would be if you're doing it in the race. And so, uh, unlike maybe, you know, a hundred mile race that you might go run where you have to follow the flagging. And so that race is kind of your one time to get on, maybe get on that land and run that hundred miles. This is always open for anybody, uh, to come take on the challenge. Hmm. That, that's that's really cool that you have support from the state. Do, do, do competitors see a lot of other paddlers out there? Is it mostly boats? Um, I will say sometimes being one of the only adventures out somewhere can add to the experience of feeling, you know, out there. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're saying. The, the first nine miles of the race are on a lake, and they see each other then. And then very quickly within probably the first – four hours of the very first day, it starts to get pretty spread out. And, um, and soon enough, you're not seeing, you might see a boat, uh, with you for a little while, and then you may go a long, long time before you see one again. So, uh, from a racing standpoint, they can certainly go, you know, if not the entire race, the vast majority of it, just never seeing another racer. Um, they definitely see a lot of spectators and other boaters and, and, you know, people cheering them on, on the lakes, uh, throughout the first half for sure. And then at the different, at the different campgrounds that are located along, uh, in the second half, they also see a, a good number of, of spectators, but the biggest way that most of the people follow the race, we have a, we have a super accurate online map, uh, that tracks the racers down to about a minute and a half from wherever they are at any given time. So you can get a real accurate read on our website. And last year, everybody followed that tracking map and uh, it kind of created a fun buzz on social media where particularly between Bobby and Sally, people were creating team Bobby and team Sally. And they were, you know, playfully going at each other on Facebook about which one of them was going to win the race. And, and it was all based on monitoring this tracking map and seeing the different photos and videos that we would post on the Facebook page throughout. Cause unfortunately, unlike, you know, world's toughest race that bear grills just released on Amazon, you know, we can't film this thing, uh, nonstop for the 10 days. So, uh, so you have to follow it along the best you can. And, and so, 
following that super accurate tracking map is uh, is a great way to do it. So, so what is it like for you being an adventurer, being an athlete yourself? You've done trips, like you said, all over the world. And I know that you did a, a self-supported 135 miles ultra around what, Lake Balaton in Hungary. That's right. And mm-hmm. I mean, you've done these incredible experiences. What is it like for you to go from doing the trips to actually being behind the scenes and making them happen? I, I feel like a lot of people are testing that out now with COVID going on. Um, not necessarily getting into event planning, but like wanting to, pers- you know, pursue their interests and their hobbies in a different way. And for a lot of us, we do transition eventually just from being participants to being creators of events. What has that been like for you? Yeah, I think it's just a different form of satisfaction. Um, you know, personally speaking, when I'm doing um, one of my own adventures, it has its own very selfish satisfaction to it. And I think that's just natural. Um and maybe even more so when it's a, you know, when it's an adventure you plan out versus maybe a hundred mile race that's an organized event. Um, whenever I do these um, kind of self-supported type things, I know how just completely um, selfish sounds like a bad word, but it, you know, it is to an extent it's a very selfish thing, but it's also a very satisfying thing to to accomplish something like that with race directing something like this, it's just a different form of satisfaction. I get so much pleasure out of, uh, creating something that is extremely difficult, uh, for other endurance athletes to do, and then watching them be successful. Uh, it's, it is so rewarding in its own right. And it's its own endurance event for me. I mean, and for my staff, it's 10 days of very, very little sleep. Uh, and what sleep you get is probably in the back of a van, uh, or on the ground and it's, you know, eating terrible fast food and, uh, and moving (laughs) constantly, you know, down the state, uh, and getting from one isolated spot to the next isolated spot. And so it's its own adventure in and of itself, but, Satisfaction is certainly the biggest takeaway for me, uh, being able to to kind of give back to other people um, and, you know, to just genuinely enjoy seeing people succeed at something that you just know, if it's not the hardest thing they've ever done, it's definitely right up there. <laughs> uh, right. Does that surprise some of the competitors? Oh, for sure. Okay. For sure. And I think a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, some of the some of the best races out there are are not great at marketing themselves, and vice versa. And so um, I think when you hear um, the race itself constantly talking about how great it is or how long it is, and we do that too, that's one thing. It takes having other competitors say, "Oh no, that was really like." extremely extremely difficult and now that you know we've had a year since last year's we've had people that have done it both those that finished it and those that had to drop last year that will tell you just how difficult it is and uh that's the greatest uh, kind of marketing you could ever do for a race is those that have actually taken it on and 
so that that right there has really kind of put us up there where um you know where we know that we're we're um, providing an event that is uh truly a challenge that is so cool man do do, do you have a story or an, or an instance where you know, maybe you were out there uh, with, with a paddler or something happened on the trip and you, and you were thinking to yourself, like, this, this is why I do this. This is why I, I we, we put this on. This is why we do this. You know, I think that um, I think it's a combination of of the, the same story over and over, which is when you're standing mm. at the finish. Um, and I think it's really important to note, we only had three boats make it to the finish last year. And they were each oh the winners gosh. of their of their category. That was oh, it. Wow! So that's how hard it is. Um, it's you know it is uh, it's a very difficult race, and we were fortunate that each category was represented. But the the story repeating itself is just being there at the finish, and that boat has. Uh, and those racers have gone you know, 650 really challenging miles and just being able to you know, give them a hug when they get out of the boat and be genuinely so happy for them for having achieved that. And I, I know that this year we will more than likely have more boats finished than three. Um, hopefully the conditions will be right for it to be a good bit more. And I'm going to feel just as genuinely happy for the person who takes first place as I will for the last boat that crosses the line, because, uh, I know that they are going to just absolutely have to endure so much during the 10 day period. And that's that, that, that story repeating itself every time when you're standing there and that boat's arriving is, is fantastic. And I think that that's not a unique thing. I think every, race director in all sports that truly cares about the race that they're putting on is genuinely excited for everybody as they're crossing the finish line. Um, and I think the only thing that makes this maybe a little bit different is I feel like I'm really right there with them for that 10 days because we're following along and we're up at 2 AM when somebody's getting to a portage and we're up at 2 PM when somebody's getting to a portage and, uh, you know, so it's, it's very, um, it feels very much more connected. Wow. Wow, man. So w- w- what, what is your hope for this race and maybe for your own experience as a race director in the next few years? I know it's hard to think about with the race literally being this weekend. And unfortunately, I don't think we can get this episode out in time. So it's going to be folks, you know, listening to this r- almost right as it's happening. Yeah. Um, what, so we're going to be pushing folks to, to, to follow along and to look at what happened, but also to be able to sign up for next year. Um, what, what is your hope for the, for the growth of the, uh, the Alabama 650? I, I hope that, so we cap the boats at, at 20. Um, and we, obviously we had some attrition this year because of the pandemic. And so we only have 16 boats as a result. Um, I hope that the um, recognition of its difficulty just continues to grow and people get excited, even if they're not one of the 20 boats that's in it for whatever year it's occurring. 
um, that they're just really excited to follow along with the with the 20 boats that are in it. Um, I, I think that what makes this race uh, really enjoyable from my standpoint is we do get the opportunity to actually get to know all of the racers. Um, and we get to know them for the race, and then we get to really intimately know them during the race. And so it's so neat from my standpoint to be able to, you know, build friendships with, uh, you know, these racers that take on this challenge, whether they finish it or not. And so I hope that people will, you know, get an opportunity maybe to see more and more how much of it being more like a family than anything, uh, that this race is. And so, um, you know, that's sort of the takeaway to me is that it's not just another race, not only from a difficulty standpoint, but just from the way that we approach it with, uh, the racers and, and with spectators as well. Uh, we, you know, we work really hard to make sure that there's a way to follow this during the 10 days that, that makes you feel as close as possible to being a part of the race, even if you're not there. And to follow it this year, I think I'm on it right now. It's the Alabama scenic river trail.com slash AL six fifty dash map. I'll put all that in the show notes, but you can get yeah. there on the, uh, just Google an Alabama scenic river trail or the great Alabama six fifty. man. This is, this is really exciting. Really exciting. Yeah, we have a, a short URL, which is just al650.com, and that'll take you right to it. And there's a it says live tracking map, and it will allow you to follow right along with each one of the each one of the racers, and you can you can choose one to follow, and you can see exactly where they are at any given time. That is awesome. So, so what what are you doing to gear up for it? Going going it starts on the twenty sixth, correct? That's right. Okay, that's correct. 26th so, through the 30th, and then I see another date, the 1st through the 6th of October. What, what are those two yeah. different dates? Well, they're, they're the same dates. Uh, it, runs, it runs the entire time to the 6th. I see. So you, if you're on the website, you can follow along uh, completely nonstop from 10 a.m. Saturday morning on the 26th to, uh, to 2.45 p.m. on October 6th. And the reason it's later is we give them, we essentially give them that time that we take away from them at the portages. Uh, so they, that that's on the back end of the race so that that doesn't count against them. Uh, everything else that they take off is just time that they're losing, but we don't want to penalize them for the downtime that is mandatory. Um, this is so so, exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. So can I ask you this, you know, when this comes out, this episode is going to come out on Monday, so a week from today, which will it'll be two days into it at that point, which is will be mm-hmm. really exciting because I want to point people to the map and just follow along. I'm going to be following. I already know I want to do this next year. Is it this time next year? And where can I find the... Um, kind of the, uh, the, what you might call it, the qualifying other events so that I can yeah. start start preparing? So it, the qualifying information is on our website. Um, and it, what it is, is essentially it's a list of races that you have to have done one of them sometime within the last five years. And they're a variety of links. And I will add in, unfortunately, it didn't work out for this year because of the pandemic. But we're going to add in a 65-mile race 
next year, probably sometime in May or June, that will act as a qualifier as well. So it's one-tenth of the distance of this, um, and you'll have uh, 24 hours to finish the race, and that can, that can be your qualifier. The nice thing is, is if you don't have a qualifier before the time to sign up, which is January 1st, you can just state what qualifier you're going to do, and all you have to do is have completed it before our race in September. Uh, but the races, the next year's race will be next September. We do it uh, right around the full moon for that month. Um, so we'll be releasing the dates for that after uh, after this one. And uh, I would encourage everybody on uh, January first to to sign up as quickly as possible because uh, I have a I have a feeling that all the pent up uh, need for racers all around the world to to do races in 2021 is probably going to uh, have us sell out pretty quickly. I can imagine. I can imagine. That's uh, that's very exciting, Greg. This is so cool to hear about. So cool to hear. Very close to home for me, um, near you know Central Florida. So I, I'd love to join. Love to be a part of it, and love to push people your direction. Uh, just because personally. Some of my most memorable adventures, some of my, you know, proudest achievements have been in places that you don't think about on your top 10 list of locations to, that are known for adventure, if that makes sense. It's almost like when you get away from those hot spots, you can almost have a more true adventure in itself. So it's really exciting to hear that places like Alabama and Florida and and in the Southeast in general are, are picking up with events like this. So I'm very excited and I appreciate folks like you that are just taking the time to put it together for us to all participate in. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll point folks to that uh, website, uh, all your social media stuff. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see who wins. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll tell you now, I'll tell you now that uh, whoever wins this race, I would be keeping uh, a close eye on the uh, the race board probably sometime around October second. October, okay. It's October first or second. You're going to see people um, getting pretty close to Fort Morgan. So, oh man, uh, it's going to be the NBA Finals in the Great Alabama Six Fifty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Must watch. <laughs> I Must just hope we get a little bit of that viewership. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Greg, thanks so much, man. I'll stay in touch with you about releasing this, and uh, yeah, we'll go awesome. from there. I appreciate you making this happen. Thank you. I appreciate it, too. All right. Yes, sir. See you. All right. Bye. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.